1 Timothy chapter 1, please. The book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to do here at the beginning uh, of our time looking in 1 Timothy 1 as we did last week. I want to read the entire chapter, giving you the divisions. There are four divisions to the chapter, uh, chapter number 1. We dealt with the first part of the first division last uh, week. And I want to get uh, through that review, add a little, uh, add two or three principles that I think are very much worth mentioning, and then um, look at the second part of the first division. First Timothy, of course, is written to um, Timothy, uh, a man 30 years um, younger than Paul, but that is very nigh and dear to Paul and Paul to him. And Paul, being an apostle, has left Timothy at uh, Ephesus. The church needed him there. And no doubt he had given Timothy some instruction, but he's not going to be able to get to him soon. And so he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what we have in these six chapters of 1 Timothy to help guide Timothy as he leads the work there at Ephesus. Now, this first division is in verses 1 and 2. The second division of this chapter, verses 3 through 11. The third division, verses 13 to 17. And the fourth and last division, of course, verses 18 through 20. In verses 1 and 2, and we'll read them just now, uh, you, you note, and we've tried to underline this to some degree, each of the previous three looks at 1 Timothy. But there's a well-established bond connecting brethren. And in this greeting, this is Paul's hello as he's going to begin his writing to Timothy. You'll note verses 1 and 2. A well-established bond is where we've tried to lay our emphasis. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope unto Timothy. My own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Verses 3 through 11, there's an obvious work that Timothy is to engage in as he's there. And he is saying, Timothy, God has entrusted you with a ministry. Let's read it, verses 3 through 11. He said, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. You remember I was trying to lay some groundwork for the book of 1 Timothy. We gave you two different nights and even gave you uh, some last week to add two words to it, some watch words and phrases. I think what I'll do on the remainder of this chapter is when I come to one of those, I'll point them out. One of the phrases is found in verse 2 we've already read, my own son. Um, three of your watch words for the book, in verse number 3, the word, charge, the word some, and the word doctrine. He keeps coming back to these, and it really sheds light on the emphasis he's given. All right, verse 4 through 11, Nearly, uh, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. There's another one of your words, conscience. And of faith unfeigned, from which some 
having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. In other words, that's idle chatter. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. He closes this section with these words according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And so again he is saying that um, there's an obvious work in which Timothy is to engage. Verses 12 uh, to 17, there's a personal witness given from Paul. And what he's going to tell Paul in essence is the Lord blessed me, helped me with the ministry that he called me to. He will enable you, Timothy. Look at this personal word from Paul, a personal word of testimony, 12 to 17. He writes, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Here's another one of your phrases. He says, this is a faithful saying. This is a reliable saying, he's saying. This is a dependable saying. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. He says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Then verses 18 to 20, he writes to him about the warfare in which he is to engage in. And he writes in verses 18 through 20, this charge, there's another one of your words, commit I unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that by them thou mightest war, a good warfare, holding faith, he says, and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus, and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Just a word or two of review. This well-established bond connecting brethren. And we've divided it as easily as it can be divided. Verse number one, we see Paul the aged or Paul the elderly. Verse number two, there's emphasis laid on Timothy the younger. And, of course, we won't spend a lot of time in review, but I do want to point out two or three things we did not emphasize last week or at least say about Paul. Paul identifies himself as Paul, an apostle, or uh, he says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is his wording. He is an apostle. The word apostle means sent one. And, of course, we said, and I'm not going to go back and labor it this week, but there are no modern-day apostles I don't care how many times you turn on TBN on TV. They're still not real. There are no, we don't believe in apostolic succession, or as some call it, apostolic succession. We don't believe it. There's no biblical precedence for it. 
There are others outside the twelve that are referred to as apostles. Barnabas was, and James, our Lord's legal half-brother, was. But they were simply sent to the destination God sent them to. That's the reference to them being an apostle. Most believe that a missionary, a true missionary, is, um, is in a sort like Barnabas and James and the twelve. They've been sent out from among a congregation, sent, dispatched to a location uh, to minister. Of course, we gave you uh, six different references to Paul uh, being a, an apostle born out of due time, but six different references where he is connected to the resurrected Christ. There's the authority or the constraint Paul writes this epistle with in verse number 1, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. I was reading Barclay and what he had to say. He said this phrase, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Barclay had this to say, by the commandment of God. He says, by the royal command of God. That's what that is saying. In other words, Paul is a man under divine mandate, under divine command. That's who he is. That's, uh, that's why he did what he did. That's why he went where he went. That's why he, that's why he said what he did. That's why he wrote what he wrote. It's because of royal command, the royal command of God. But if you think of it, it's been that way ever since we met Paul once he was saved, right? Do you remember when he saved in Acts chapter 9, verse number 6? The Bible says, And he, that is Saul of Tarsus, as he was known at that time, the Bible says, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? There's evidence in the Bible that was his heartbeat every morning when he rose was the will of God for his life. Did you wake this morning and as your feet hit your bedroom floor, did you ask the Lord, now Lord, today, what wilt thou have me to do? What is it you have for me today, Lord? The will of God was paramount in Paul's life. Listen to what he wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, very familiar verse of Scripture, he said, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That we may know the will of God for our lives. Happy day. If you know why God's still letting you breathe air tonight, happy moment for you. If you know why God has left you here, been happy day. When I was preaching in the recent revival and dealing with giving through the week, I dealt with the thing of spiritual gifts and how that spiritual gift of giving and the fact that you ought to know, you ought to learn, you ought to discern what your spiritual gift is and then just get at it. That don't mean you have to make a big sensational splash and everybody see you and hear you. If you're ministering for Christ, they're probably not going to see you nor hear you. You're probably going to disappear somewhere. But you'll have a place. And Paul does what he does because he understands what the will of God is for his life. God had a purpose, a will for his life. To the Ephesians, listen to what he wrote. Ephesians 5, 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. It does matter. It does matter. Then to the Colossians, he wrote in Colossians 1, verse number 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, I could go on and on and on, 
about some of the aspects of God's will for his life. For example, in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 8, twice Paul was sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit. He was going to go in two different destinations according to those verses, but the Spirit suffered him not, means did not allow him to do so, and the Spirit bade him not two different times. Was it that the gospel was an inappropriate message? Absolutely not. Was it that lost people did not need to be saved? Absolutely not. It was not God's will for him to head off in two different directions. And so when the Spirit of God suffered him not or allowed him not, he stopped what he was doing and went where God sent him to go. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a blessing? Um, Paul was called. Look here in chapter 1, verse 12. Paul was called of God in the ministry. Now I'm fixing to get to Timothy. He was called of God. He knows what God's will is for his life. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 12, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the, uh, into the ministry. Think with me about the first part of 2 Corinthians five fourteen. Paul's called of God in the ministry. Paul is constrained by the love of God. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 14. Listen to this verse. For the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constraineth simply means arrested, has bound us, has locked us up. It's not, Paul was not writing over there. He was not writing about his love for Christ that had captivated and arrested him. He's talking about Christ's love for him. That's what motivated him. Now, I contend this, if, if you're never overwhelmed by the grace of God, you're not going to do a whole lot for God. You'll be content to sit around and pour mouth and, and sit around and gossip and carry on and be in the middle of everything under the sun except God's work. People used of God have been people who have been overwhelmed by the grace of God. Let me say it like I used to hear a fellow say it in testimony meetings sometime. We ought to be in hell tonight and that with our back broke. He said, for the love of Christ constraineth us. His love for us. Of course, if the gospel has changed us, it's claimed us. <laughs> We've been bought and paid for. He's marked us off for himself. And God has a purpose for Paul's life. And I could. I think I could anyhow spend the next half hour talking about some more of that. But I'm talking about at this point, Paul's relationship to Timothy, Timothy's relationship to Paul. I'm sure if Timothy, at this stage and age of his life in his 30s, I'm sure if you would have asked Timothy, Tim, tell me in just a sentence what you think of Paul. He probably would have said, well, he's the greatest man I know. But if at the same time, if you had one telephone receiver over here and you heard Timothy say that, you could ask God, God, why do you use him? Is it, is it because he's so big? And I'm sure God would say, no, looking on from where I see him, it's because he's willing to be so small. He's humble before me. We preachers know that God takes care of the width of our ministry if we'll take care of the depth of it. And if the, if the width of the ministry he's called me to is to preach to five deaf people who can't even hear, then that's God's business and I should be content therewith. Paul.
Paul's used of God. Paul the aged, verse 1. Timothy the younger, verse 2. He's one of my heroes of the New Testament, especially the more I, mornings I get up and read First Timothy through again and consider him and his life. I did mention a thing or two about him last week. Two of our 27 New Testament books were written to him, directly to him. Of course, there's a total of eight of our New Testament books were written to individuals, right? The book of Luke was written to Theophilus. The book of Acts was written to Theophilus. It's right in the introduction of both books. The book of Philemon was written to Philemon concerning uh, his having been wronged by Onesimus. First and second Timothy, written to Timothy. Titus, written to Titus. Second John was written to the elect lady. Third John was written to a gentleman by the name of Gaius. Now let me give you a few items concerning Timothy for our time remaining this evening. A few items regarding Timothy. We know from 1 Corinthians 7 verses 6, 7, and 8, Paul had no wife and he had no children. So he had no natural children. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives us a word about marriage a word about divorce, and a word about remarriage, among other things. But the other things will fall under those headings. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 6 through 8, he says to a certain element that are unmarried or widowed, I wish you could remain like I am. But he said every man has his own gift. Not everybody's called, even us preachers, not everybody's called to be a Percy Ray, right? was engaged to marry R.G. Lee's daughter. Felt like it was not God's will for his life. He never married. As much as he traveled, it's probably a good thing, isn't it? He was never home. Myrtle Baptist Church was halftime. That is, they met every other Sunday. Has it ever occurred to you that we meet, usually we meet more often and more regular today than the church did right here in this area 60 years ago and seemed to see God a whole lot less. Isn't that something? Go figure that one out. We don't need him as much as they needed him back then. We have more money. We're eating better. We're living better. We're riding better. We're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, even God. It's the characteristics of the Laodicean age. But he had no natural children. He spoke, his, spoke of Timothy as his own son in the faith. Right here, 2 Timothy 1, verse 2, he calls him my own son in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he calls him my dearly beloved son. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul wrote, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord. He said some other things in that verse. Then in Philippians 2, Uh, He wrote, but you know the proof of him, writing of Timothy, that as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Timothy's name appears some 30 times in Scripture. 11 times as Timothy, 19 times as Timotheus, for a total of 30 times. Timothy was saved on Paul's first missionary journey, which is recorded in Acts chapter number 14. Timothy was from Lystra. Lystra and Derby, you could call them, though in the dust, they were still somewhat twin cities uh, in the area of Lyconia. And Paul preached the gospel. He was stoned there 
In the midst of it all, people were saved, and yet he was left for dead. And, of course, I believe it corresponds to his being called up to the third heaven. I believe the timeline fits and works that he wrote about in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. But the Jews that persecuted him and stoned him, um, they did so intending nothing short of death and left him there as a dead man. Acts 14 verse 7 says, And there they preached the gospel, the death, burial, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord. And souls were saved. And Timothy was one of them. As a young teenage boy, he was one of them. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but he had a mama. He had a daddy, or excuse me, he had a mom and a grandmother. They probably, the, the grandmother probably lived in the same home as families did back in those days. He had two godly influences in his life, a mama and a grandmama. And they taught him about the things of God and planted the seed and watered it through the years constantly. No doubt they prayed for young Timothy. And all of a sudden, here comes the Apostle Paul into their little dusty town preaching the gospel. And Timothy believed and was saved. Glory to God. Saved by the grace of God. His life was changed. From that moment forward, his life was changed. Concerning Timothy's family, he had a godly Jewish mother, Eunice, had a godly Jewish grandmother, Lois. Paul not only, evidently, Paul not only was familiar with Timothy, but he's familiar with Timothy's family. He wrote of his grandmother and his mother. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter number 1, verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned, that word unfeigned means unmixed faith. He's going to say to him, Timothy, you had a good mama. You have a good mama. You have a good grandmama. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first, and thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. In other words, the work that uh, his grandmother had started had been uh, uh, come to fruition in, in the life of his mother and now in the life of Timothy. He had a godly Jewish mother, godly Jewish grandmother. As far as we know, Timothy's daddy was lost and his daddy was a pagan. and He was a Greek. When Timothy would go with Paul into the ministry, Timothy uh, submitted himself for circumcision. He did that not because he had to do that. He did that because the Jews, in order to come into the synagogue and take the word of God, you had to take the mark of circumcision, which was part of the Abrahamic covenant, or they would not allow you in. Timothy was so yielded to the will of God for his life, he was willing to make whatever sacrifice necessary. But you can imagine, he, his mother was a Jew, his daddy was a Greek. You can imagine the prejudice that probably was shown to Timothy even as a young man in his life. And now who's going to take up any time with Timothy? I'll tell you who's going to take up time with him. God's going to take up time with him. And God's God preacher is going to take up time with the young man. And I'm glad about that. Timothy, on, Paul's sec on his first missionary journey, Timothy is saved. On his second missionary journey, he pulls 
Timothy into his world and strikes out with him. I've got chill bumps all up and down me. I know you really wanted to hear that. It stirs me. I talk to preachers every day. I think I told you this Sunday. Friday I returned a phone call of a preacher in Alabama, my senior, whom I have great respect for. He's been faithful for decades. He's done without this world's goods. I've heard him preach countless times over 31-plus years. I called him back, and let's just call him Jim. That's not his name. He said, hello. I said, Brother Jim, uh, I'm sorry I missed your call. Just trying to get back with you. And I had to sit there for some time until he quit crying. Lord, help. These journeys, these ministries, these preachers carry burden that... Not many people know very much about it all. Timothy's going to get pulled into all of that. Somebody's got to help him. He's already got strikes against him as far as the community is concerned. In Acts chapter 16, notice with me, if you will, where Paul pulls Timothy into his world. He's going to stand with Timothy. He's going to help Timothy. He believed in Timothy. Acts chapter number 16. Then came he to Derby, that is Paul, and Lystra. There's Timothy's hometown. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. You see that conjunctive word, but? His father was a Greek. He wasn't a believer. He's a Gentile on top of that. Verse number 2, which was well reported of by the brethren, that is, Timothy was, by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep and uh, that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. It always helps me to know of preachers who help other preachers. And just as sure as my broken brother on Friday morning crushed my heart and other brethren in the ministry have grabbed my heart, taken it and run away with it because of their struggles, their perhaps oddities. Have you ever thought about we preachers? There's something odd about every one of us, especially Troy. Amen. Say amen right there, Troy. (laughs) Somebody has to help us. We are reminded quite often of how frail and small and weak we are. All of us. Paul believed in Timothy. As a matter of fact, the brethren recommended Timothy. Can you hear Paul when he comes back to Lystra? He's asking about the work. He was stoned there just maybe five, six years prior. What's he even doing there? God sent him back. When he gets there, I can just... uh, I can almost hear the conversation. Perhaps while he was there five, six years earlier, he was in the home of Timothy. Perhaps. We don't know that. I ought to write a book about that. Just make it up. (laughs) Won't hurt you to use your imagination. Warren Wearsby was the best at it. John Phillips was. But perhaps 
he had been in their home, and Eunice and Lois had prepared a meal, and he got to sit at their table. And then got to witness their son and grandson saved. Perhaps as he comes back into town, one of the places he wants to stop is stick his head in the door in the little home of uh, where Timothy's grown up. Perhaps maybe he would have asked. Maybe his old grandmama would have said, you won't believe it, Paul. He's in the word all the time. We can hear him sometimes before we pillow our head and lay down at night. He's, he's praying. He's praying for the lost about us. He's been praying for you, Paul. Say so he has. And then the brethren, he gets to asking the brethren or the brethren just get to tell him. Either way, they recommend Timothy. And he saw something in Timothy worthy of his time and his effort. He stood with him. He stood with him. But now that had been done for Paul too, hadn't it? You remember after he was saved, saints didn't want to have anything to do with him. After all, he's persecuted the church. Stood there. Men dropped their cloaks, their garments at the feet of Saul, one Saul of Tarsus, while they stoned Stephen. And it was Barnabas that told the believers at Jerusalem, you can believe in him. He has been saved. Of course, that's the way Barnabas is made up, isn't it? You remember later when help was needed at Antioch? That's where Barnabas was a member. You remember who he went and got, brought back to the church at Antioch? It was Saul. We know him as Paul. He believed in him when nobody else believed in him. He was willing to travel with an offering and some of the some of the mid-chapters, early mid-chapters of the book of Acts. For the poor saints in Judea, Barnabas. Everybody needs a Barnabas. Everybody needs a Barnabas. Somebody to help you in the faith. We've got 11 minutes. We've got to shift gears. Look with me at 1 Timothy 4, verse number 14. We know that Timothy was formally ordained. Where do we get our ordination services? Well, from different portions of Scripture. But here's one of the verses. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 4, verse number 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. He said, Timothy, we laid our hands on you. And it's great responsibility. And you've been called into the ministry. We've, we've put our hands. We've, uh, we've stood with you. We ordained you. We helped set you aside. We threw our support behind you. Look, if you will, in 2 Timothy, verse number 6 of chapter 1. He says, Timothy, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. Don't get down, Timothy. Stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. That's a reference to a formal to a formal ordination. I'd say Timothy's come a long way from where he grew up. He come from a world of mixed heritage, rejected probably by some in his own community. And here along comes Paul preaching the gospel, and Timothy gets saved. Five or six years after that, here comes Paul back preaching 
And again, he sweeps Timothy into his world of ministry. Timothy has no idea what's waiting on him the years of his life down the road. When you read of Paul's second missionary journey and his third missionary journey, guess who made every step of that with him? It was Timothy. No wonder he's so fond of the young man. At some point, we don't know exactly when, at some point Timothy was imprisoned. We learned that from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom if he comes shortly I will see you. Got over his bashfulness somewhere, didn't he? There are writers, I have a couple of them in my personal library, that write of Timothy and call him timid Timothy because Paul has to tell him, son, get up, fear not, stand, go on. But he was willing to take the time to do it for the young man, and the investment put in him paid off great dividends. Timothy ministered, we know, in at least five churches. We know at least these five, Thessalonica, Corinth, Philippi, Berea, and, of course, Ephesus, as we have evidence right here in 1 Timothy 1. He was by nature bashful, some believe, perhaps very shy, timid. He may have even been backward. He may have grew up in Troy, who knows, or something like that. Tell you something else about him. He was a bit sickly. He's a bit sickly. We know that from 1 Timothy 5.23 where Paul said, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Look with me to chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to call your attention to something here. Then back to verse number 2. And, and I will try not to get you out of here late at all. You're always... You're always with me right up to 8 o'clock, and then you go looking at your watches. <laughs> I was in a church here in Pontotoc County years ago. I was wild as a buck when I'd preach. I, if I could have reached a chandelier, I'd have swung from one just to prove to you I would. But a fellow kept looking at his watch. He said on my left, kept looking at his watch. And I was down the middle of the aisle spitting and stomping. I'd done preached an hour probably, ringing wet with sweat. And I said, dear brother, he kept watching, looking at his I said, dear brother, can you tell me the time? And he did. I said, praise God, I got another hour, don't I? <laughs> and everybody rolled about like how you did. Church was full. Notice with me something here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Listen, in case you're wondering if I miss those, what people always supposed to be good old days, I don't. Half the time I was mean in my delivery, meant to get my point across. No matter who it hurt. There was no grace in that. I hope I had some grace about me. But there was no grace in that. And the grace of God that we sing about. We read about. And we believe in. Is operative in our lives. People ought to be able to see some grace. It's about like the little fellow. That was talking to his parents about. The preacher talking about God being so good, and then he'd also heard him preach prior to God living in you when you're saved. He said, look to me like if somebody as big as God's living in you, he ought to be sticking out somewhere. I've said this in days gone by. I do think it's worth mentioning now. I have no problem with a preacher that comes out of the gate like a thoroughbred. Running for all he's got. I have not one problem. 
But somewhere across time, he's got to quit preaching about the Bible. And he's got to go to studying it. And if he goes to studying it, it's going to change him. It will change him. I said this a week or two or three ago, don't know. But I remember saying it, uh, you know, sometimes we make the statement, well, now, that preacher, he's standing where he was standing 50 years ago. I hope he is, and I hope he's not. I hope he's still standing for Christ and still standing on the Word, but I hope he's not still right staying put where he started. I hope we all grow a little in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Watch this. 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12. Watch this. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now, he tells Timothy, he says, flee, Timothy. Some things you've got to stay away from. Run from it, Timothy. He says in these verses, follow after, Timothy. Did you see that? He said, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And then he says in verse 12, fight, Timothy, fight. Fight the good fight of faith. We missed something, though, didn't we? Let's read the two verses again. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. We're talking about a young, bashful, backward young man. And Paul starts these two verses in Chapter number 6, verse 11, he says, But thou, O man of God, (laughs) this is Paul who has seen the resurrected Lord. This is Paul who Timothy probably thought was the greatest man he'd ever laid eyes on. This is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul that's been called up to the third heaven. Paul the preacher. Paul the traveler. Paul who has ministered all over the known world. Paul, who has written uh, epistles and letters to churches. Paul, who's faced everything from the lion's mouth to being betrayed by his own countrymen. And Paul addresses Timothy in a most respectful manner. He may not be Paul, but he is God's man. And the aged apostle... (laughs) The aged apostle addresses him. He says, but thou, O man of God. I'd say he's come a long ways. And everybody needs a Barnabas, but every Timothy needs a Paul. Paul, whose name was known by everyone across the region, addresses Timothy. Addresses Timothy as a man of God. Isn't that amazing? That probably don't bless you and do for you what it does for me, but it does something for me. This must have helped a young man that was timid and nervous. I said about Paul a year or so ago, he probably knew what it was, had to preach at times, probably knew what it was, go back behind a building somewhere and throw his guts up. Whether he did or not, I'm convinced Timothy did. He told Timothy, he said, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. 
done often infirmities. He's a nervous, timid, bashful, and here's a man that's willing to take time with this little messed up guy that comes from a mixed up background and say, Timothy, I ain't looking at that. I'm interested in your heart for God, and you've got one, and we can travel this road together. Get under my coattail, and let's hit the road. I love that. I love that. I was asked about a young man several years back. And I said, all I've got to say to you is don't count him out. Don't count him out. You never know who God may be raising up even in our congregation. Who God may put his hand on one of these days. God have mercy on any church member, on every church member, on all church members who would be a stumbling block to such a young man. To be able to nurture a young man in the, in the ministry. May we all be found helping. Now, Paul knows Timothy in the faith. He's been privileged to observe it all. Think about it with me. I've outlined it. I just need to get it together and all my thoughts under these three headings. But now Timothy's experienced, number one, a legitimate birth in the family of God. Number two, continuous growth in his faith and walk with the Lord. Number three, an increased use in the work of God. Here he is pastoring at Ephesus now. How about that? Go back to verse 2. Back to verse 2 of chapter 1, that is. Back to our text. We'll wind it up right here. Verse 2, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is Paul's prayer for Timothy. This is his desire for Timothy. He didn't pray that uh, he'd get more books in his library. He didn't pray that he'd whatever else. We tend to pray one for another. But this is his desire for Timothy. He says, grace, mercy, and peace. He said, Timothy, you're going to need some grace, son. That heavenly assistance. We're still trying to define the word grace, aren't we? Someone said years ago, it's about like trying to hug a mountain. You can't do it. You can't do it. That heavenly assistance, that bit of God's hand on your life. Paul knew that Timothy in time would find God's grace sufficient as he had. And you need that. When you realize how inadequate you are, again, how frail and weak you are. He said grace, then he says mercy. He would continually need the mercy of God, as do you and I. If you ever get to the place you think, uh, don't need it anymore, you probably need it more than the rest of us at that point. Peace. Peace. Grace, mercy, and peace, Tim. Grace for your work. Grace for your life. Mercy for your limitations, your failures, your weaknesses. Peace for the journey. He said, that's how I'm praying for you. <laughs> that's how I'm praying for you. The peace of God to guard against a lot of things. You remember when we were in the book of Philippians? We talked about how the peace of God would guard against a lot of things in your life. If you're content in Christ, that would guard against a lot of things. And the peace of God to go with you in times of darkness, times of doubt, and then when you're looking before your day and you know you have to face things that you really don't want to face, I'll tell you what will help you. 
if peace would come up along beside you and walk with you every step of the journey. I wonder, I was thinking about this today uh, before printing off uh, my notes for this evening. I know Amanda and I, we pray for our kids, pray for our grandkids. Um, I wonder if we'd change our praying to this three-word prayer. I wonder what kind of difference it might make in our loved one's lives. Lord, touch her in your grace. Be merciful to him. Peace. Help them get their eyes off this world and rest in the peace of God. Anybody you can pray for like that? Grace, mercy, and peace. Anybody you know that needs grace, needs mercy, needs peace in their life? Let's stand.